Boy, we got ourselves a week of college football this weekend. Loads of ranked matchups, plus some really intriguing ones that include unranked teams. Clemson, I'm looking at you, man. That's that's sad. You should be one of these ranked teams. That's on you. You're, you're just a sad team, I guess. But this really feels like the first weekend of college football we've had all season with real playoff implications. Tons of close spreads. Uh, some really bright, really tight DFS pricing. If, you, if you've been with us on that one, this one is... Uh, Feels a little different than the most recent one. Tough to navigate the slate overall. Of course, we're going to do our best to help you through it. Brian Peller and Chris Tindall, we're the host of the Sharpen the Point podcast. It's episode five, week four of the college football season. Shout out to week zero for giving us absolutely nothing and wasting and throwing off all the numbers. But hey, we're a college football game and DFS picks podcast. I've got the ATS spread picks. Chris, take any DFS selections. Of course, this podcast does have an accompanying article where you can play along. It's on TomahawkNation.com. Lists out all the picks. Lists out the DFS plays with some more information there. Uh, But since you're here, you get more in-depth conversation. So congratulations. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Um, Close to about a 1,000 of you guys tuning in each week, so we appreciate it. And if you are betting or playing along with us, do so responsibly. Follow our picks at your own risk. So... As usual, we'll look back first at last week so we can kind of revisit our successes, our shortcomings, and kind of take in what that means going forward because a lot of the teams we talked about last week are back on the slate again this week. And I do want to start, though, on the DFS front this week because, dude, Chris, you nailed it (laughs) last week, especially at the quarterback spot. You were talking Jaden Daniels, and I think he might have scored 50. Uh, You had Utah's Nate Johnson filling in for Cam Rising, and maybe he's back, something to talk about later. And... uh, Jalen Milrow, I think you said he was going to get benched when we taped this on Thursday night. We published the article Friday morning, and then Friday afternoon there was uh, whispers floating around that Milrow was out. So uh, maybe a miss on on the Benson uh, call. But outside of that, you were you nailed the quarterback spot for sure. Other than Benson, we we hammered, and then I know I played four lineups. That's my typical for the main slate, and everything cashed uh, in tournaments, which is which is even crazier. Um, because we're only paying the top 20 for 25% of the field. So to get a full cash out of every lineup build, that means we were really on it. And really, I told you before the week happened that we were going to have a tight player pool and we did. Yeah. I felt really good about the players we had. And and that, like you said, the tight player pool kind of gave me, um, especially off of our week one uh, win, I have, I have a larger than normal bankroll. So I felt confident playing a lot of lineups. Uh, I actually threw out eight in there because there were just like slight tweaks of the guys that we had that I really liked. Uh, and I, I cashed seven of them and, and two of them reached the top like five or six hundred. So um, the couple extra dollars on those winners all in tournaments. So, yeah, thanks for the advice, man. I, I keep stacking it. I don't know how long it'll last, uh, but you're doing great so far. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't don't expect me to run this hot. Uh, you typically early in the year, there's a little bit more advantage than later in the year. But, but you know, while, when, once more information gets out there right now, we're taking good, educated guesses. And as more info comes out, then some more people will catch on to certain things. Yeah, the uh, it's definitely a week to find out. There's a ton of big games like I talked about. And, and it, it this the pricing this week is a lot different. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how tight the pricing is later and and how much that may impact the ability to stay red hot. But so far, you're doing great. My picks, once again, were kind of down the middle. Uh, Five and five, if you checked out the Tomahawk Nation article. Three and two here on the podcast. I'll go through all five of those real quick. I was pretty off on Florida State. Thought they'd roll Boston College. They kind of didn't right off the bat. Then they really pulled away in the third quarter, and I was like, okay, here they go. This will be it. They'll they'll still close out fairly easily even after the slow start. Uh, but they really uh, 
hurtled up there towards the end and gave Boston College a chance to win. Uh, we'll go more into Florida State in a bit, but uh, that one was kind of surprising and disappointing, especially um, in that offensive perspective. They they gave us kind of nothing. Yeah, Coleman did nothing. Uh, I know yeah, that he had one that, carry that, for four yards. I think was all he had. Yeah, okay, that'll just... probably suppress his ownership this week a little bit, especially with the guys he's priced around. And then, um, as you said, you know, it was a struggle at the running back position overall. Uh, yeah. And a shocking performance out of the BC quarterback. So, yeah, that was that was surprising. He's someone I think that both of us are interested in this week. So we'll get back to both of those teams in a bit. Uh, I was pretty right on on Penn State. They ran a, a ton on Illinois. Didn't really have a ton of success. It wasn't like they ran for some massive amount of yards, but funny enough to still cover by a field goal. Penn State looks pretty good, but maybe not as good as I kind of thought at the start of the year. I, I would say more uh, Dennis Green esque. Uh, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> they just seem like the same Penn State with maybe slightly. It, 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 maybe Aller is going to be better than than what they've been getting the last few years, but I'm not sure I'm there yet at the quarterback spot. Uh, boy, LSU gave Mississippi State the work this week. Daniels, we mentioned he was spectacular. A couple rushing touchdowns, a couple passing touchdowns. We said before, he kind of hits a hot streak and gets going. Mm-hmm. He feels like he's on one. Yeah, I think a lot of that was based off of Neighbors. Neighbors had a monster game. Uh, it was a very profitable switch to him on FanDuel in a number of <laughs> spots. So that worked out to our favor. Having Daniels is good, but Neighbors was elite. Yeah, what Neighbors, I think, had like 10 or 11 in the first half for almost, oh, I think it was like 180, he finished over 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he had over 200 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, so I mean, LSU looks every bit of the team we thought they'd be heading into the season. They seem to be, oddly enough, the team was not as healthy week one uh, as they are now, which seems to be interesting. Um, so I I kind of have confidence in them going forward. Felt a little gross about it when I said it last week, but there really wasn't much doubt in South Carolina plus 27 and a half against Georgia. I'm not sure the Bulldogs have really kind of figured it out with Carson Beck yet. They just can't seem to get Brock Bowers involved. Um, and the running game is pretty banged up that the other guys are just not really doing it for them. So a note I heard on that with that tight end room, apparently Bowers is banged up. Now they would like to sit him, but the other two scholarship tight ends they have on, on the roster are also out with injuries. So they're playing him instead of playing walk-on. So they've really limited his role. That would have been nice to know last week, but that's also why I've played half Bowers, half Corley in the lineups. Yeah, and Bowers wasn't terrible last week. Uh, that He's the uh, elite tight end up there, so he wasn't terrible. But um, you can tell that there's just – and maybe it is the injuries. It just feels like Georgia's just kind of clunky to start this year. Yeah, they're just trying to survive and get healthy right now. And I think once they get healthy, they'll start rolling. Plus, they're working in the new quarterback – and it's hard to work in a new quarterback when you don't have a run game that you're confident in. And lastly, Tennessee sucks, huh? Uh, that was that was an abysmal performance. Uh, I believe I was watching the Troy James Madison game instead, and it was a much <laughs> better game to watch overall than than whatever was going on in that. It was twenty nine six at one point, and I figured there was no point in even tuning into that. Yeah, it was one of those games that uh, I, I said there was going to be someone who was going to be upset this week as, as a as a home underdog uh, coming back to get them. I didn't think it'd be Illinois. I didn't think it'd be Mississippi State. Um, it turned out it was Tennessee, and it was pretty clear. Like on the second drive, they just they 
their offensive struggles weren't something they were just going to figure out. They just didn't have it. Um, it clear. It seems like their their offensive philosophy just isn't clicking with Joe Milton at all. Yeah, he's more of a cannon. It's kind of what we saw at Michigan to some extent. So he's less of a game manager, more of a let me huck it as far as I can. We'll have to wait and see how he does with the you know the wide receivers aren't as good as everybody thought they were either. So. So I'm taking this one as maybe the Gators a slight bump up from what I thought, but Tennessee probably way down from what I thought. So moving ahead to this week, like I mentioned, there's a ton of great games. I'm going to talk about uh, six of them here because we've got five ranked ones and one that isn't. Again, that's Clemson's fault, but we'll go there first. Uh, most people, have, most of you listening to this are getting it off of TomahawkNation.com. So it's Florida State minus two and a half at Clemson. Earlier this week, I talked about this game potentially having some rain issues. Um, as that kind of tropical, subtropical system is developing there off the east coast of Florida and heading towards the Carolinas. It looks like at this point, as we recorded on Thursday night, that's going to stay east of South Carolina and maybe be more of a North Carolina, Virginia area type of problem by Saturday. So I don't expect big impacts into this game. I've talked a lot about this game. So Chris, before I, ta- I uh, you know, lead the witness, I- I'm curious your thoughts. Well, weather is important, and going into DFS aspect overall, check the weather. That's very important. If it's any winds more than 20 miles an hour, that does impact the long passing game. Uh, that's going to lead to a lower lower scoring output because they're going to try to run the ball more. Now, I still haven't seen anything out of Clemson's offense. I think everything stands to reason that we talked about from game one when I said Duke could hang with them because Duke's, you know, outside skill weapons were better than Clemson's. I think that all stands to reason here as well. I I expect Florida State to win the game. It's all, to me, everything's going to have to rely on, A, does Travis make any mistakes? And does the offense make any mistakes? How does the penalties play out? Penalties play a massive role in these type of matchups. And does Will, can Will Shipley carry the Clemson offense on his back, essentially? I think Shipley could catch a lot of passes in this game, and I think that might be where he could separate. But the Clemson defense might it isn't really as good as it has been in the secondary, and the run defense is good, not great. But I don't think Florida, Florida State just hasn't impressed me running the football at all. No, they really haven't looked great running, rushing the football. They uh, Their best game was obviously Southern Miss, but – I mean, Southern Miss kind of got beat down last week by Tulane and their backup quarterback, which Tulane is great, but I don't know if it's get beat down on your home field uh, that should inspire any confidence in Southern Miss. In terms of this game, one thing I thought was interesting, and maybe if you're on, uh, I guess I'll call it Twitter, right? It's still Twitter. If you're on Twitter and you've seen maybe this stat floating around, it's like the success rate graph. It's like, how bad did we really, did you really get beat? And it's kind of like, your success rate on offense and defense combined versus your opponents. And then it's like a judge of how well you really handle the other team. And the stat last week, obviously Florida state was close with Boston college. Boston college had a chance to win it at the end uh, where Clemson kind of handled FAU, but Florida state still had the better success rate by a pretty decent margin, even in that game versus Clemson. I think I said earlier this week, I was going, I had Florida state winning 21, 20, um, I'm growing in confidence in Florida State. My biggest fear is that Clemson does present all the problems 
that I fear with Florida State. They have a good front seven, and that's going to probably force Florida State to hit on their passes. And I thought after the LSU game, I had the confidence that Travis and Wilson and Jaheim Bell and Keon Coleman would, um, but they haven't really been in sync the last two games. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think they haven't been in sync, but they haven't needed to be as much. I think that probably weighs on that. Uh, will they step up in the scenario? Probably. Um, turnovers and penalties are the these are the types of things that that make a big difference in this. And I think Florida State has played more better, a lot better at minimizing penalties uh, lately than they have in the past. Certainly. Uh, they're a more well-coached team in that aspect right now. And I think that makes a difference. Whereas there's been a lot of clock mismanagement down and distant mismanagement on the Clemson side. And that's where I would worry about. Now they could come out and run an efficient game plan and, and do that type of stuff, but there's a lot more playmaking ability when you need a play that's on Florida State. Like there, even Shipley. Shipley's not breaking off an eighty-yard run. You know that's not really his game. His game is he's an efficient six to ten-yard guy. He's not really going to break those long, big plays unless you bust something and don't play proper defense and gap scheme. Yeah, and I think that again plays into Florida State's hands because I think Florida State's defensive line is going to have a lot of success success this week. And in that case, if Clemson can't chunk play them, kind of like, I mean, Boston College is in third and long a lot and then turn that into touchdowns. If Clemson's in that scenario and they don't have that explosive element, it's 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 going to catch up to them. Florida State probably should have won this game a year ago. Um, if they did, didn't fall asleep for like the middle five minutes of the game, Clemson turned that in like a 20-0-1-0 run. Uh, and then Florida State came storming back at the end and it was just too little too late. Um, maybe should have won this game, but maybe is the wrong verb for that, but should have at least kept it a lot closer. Um, I think if they avoid that snooze fest, I've got them covering here. And I I think Florida State gets the road win and um, is pretty much knocking Clemson out of the college football playoff perspective. And I think probably out of the ACC perspective with two conference losses to open the year as well. Yeah, I know a popular bet before the season was Clemson under 10 and a half wins on the win total for the season. So that's going to come to fruition pretty early here. Yeah, because I mean, even the rest of the ACC, you're looking at Duke, you're looking at Miami looks better. You're, you know, you've got teams kind of in the way that it, it, I don't think Clemson can come back from two September losses. Uh, North Carolina as well. Uh, moving on to college football's favorite team, number 19, Colorado, plus 21 and a half. They're at number 10, Oregon. Boy, your smile just blew up on your face. Tell me you love this game. I. It's must-watch television. I think I didn't go to bed till 2 a.m. watching the Colorado-Colorado State game last week. Yeah, that, that didn't end until like 2, 2.30 Eastern, yeah. Yeah, it, it was worth it. It was worth it. I stayed up for every minute. It doesn't matter if it's a blowout. I'm watching that game all the way through. You know, we get Hawaii on the slate this week. I'll be up for that. So <laughs> I was shocked that this was an early game. I was hoping it was going to be a late-nighter. You know, I get some good Bo Nix time late in the late in night. But, hey, you put it on the main slate, and baby, we're loving life because this game's going to go get out of hand quick. Yeah, and it's crazy because I saw a stat yesterday on Twitter, and I'm going to try and find it while I stall here to see who it was from so I can give him credit. And by Wednesday, I mean – or by yesterday, I mean Wednesday, um, Ben Falquez? I don't know. Going to guess it? That's it. That's on Twitter, I guess. I don't know. Could be wrong. 
uh, BFAWKES22. Let me try to give him credit. Uh, but his stats from DraftKings show 81% of the bets at DraftKings are in on Colorado, plus 21 and a half. Um, man, I have no confidence in this team without Travis Hunter, especially playing against a real team that could put up real points. Um, I mean, the best team they've played so far is TCU, and I don't think anyone thinks TCU is maybe in the top 40 teams in college football. I, I don't know. I think TCU's a lot – they're better now than they were then. Uh, we had no idea what Colorado was going to look like, so they were flying in blind into that. They knew what TCU was going to look like. We have a track record. We know exactly what they were, who they are. Uh, maybe Houston's just awful, but I watched a lot of that game. That, that was... TCU defense looked to be a lot improved because I expect, or maybe I just expect way too much out of Donovan Smith. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I saw earlier too that oddsmakers were saying that they are the team that they've obviously adjusted the most from their preseason rankings to now is Colorado, and given them a, the largest bump uh, when they set these lines. You know, these lines aren't just like, hey, some guy just goes and says like, I don't know, twenty seven. Um, you know, there, there's math involved in it. Still 21 and a half. I mean, the odds makers are telling you this is a blowout. And for everyone to come rushing to Colorado, I get it. It's fun. It's a fun team. They are swaggering all over the place. I mean, Little Wayne led them out the tunnel, which seems like my freaking dream. They just don't have the guys up front on either side of the ball to do anything. And Travis Hunter is their best player on the both sides of the ball, even with Shadur. I don't know. I think Shadur is very good. Uh, Jimmy Horn, very good. Uh, Xavier Weaver. Xavier Weaver was dominating. And Jimmy Horn, they both played at South Florida last year with abysmal quarterback play. But those guys were routinely getting 80 to 100 yards a game, just racking up numbers. So you pair him with a pro-quality quarterback – they're going to put up points. It's just the nature of this game. You know, they're going to score. Now, the more they score the and the faster they score, the more Oregon's going to score and the faster they're going to score. So every – I don't – if Oregon punts, I'll be shocked. Like, that's where <laughs> I'm at with this game. I don't see Oregon ever punting. They're going to score and score at will. I was – the the, the – the quarterback for Colorado State is not very good. Like, he wasn't even the starter. He got benched. Uh, the starter got benched after week two. Now, they have good wide receiver talent, and Torrey Horton specifically, because last year they threw for 150 yards a game and five interceptions, and Horton would have 140 yards receiving. So that was the guy, and then he just dominated. And they, Corey Horton's still running twin sprints across the field right now, just back and <laughs> forth, sideline to sideline, catching passes because they did, never stopped it. He, he crossing patterns all day long. So Tro, Troy Franklin's going to be running wind sprints up and down the field too. Yeah, I I feel like this is one where I don't know what the over under is. This isn't an over under spread uh, podcast. Um, it's seventy one. I got a feel seventy one and a half. I might. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon gave you fifty. Probably Oregon's more than got that. A, Oregon's team total is forty six. Yeah. So I mean, I I would go over and probably guess Oregon gives you fifty plus. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they could hang seventy. 
I would believe it. If you told me they hung 70 in this game, I'd believe you. And again, it's not it, it, it's not like I'm saying Colorado isn't good. The problem with this game, especially on the road in and I don't know if we did this anymore. Oregon was used to be like this is a place that's tough to play. I don't I don't hear anyone say anything about that anymore. Is that a thing? Did we talk about so, that? So it it is. Um I, I know specifically when I was working at LSU, I had a conversation with Ryan Marcillo one time. I asked what is the loudest, craziest environment you've ever been to? And he said, Oregon. And I was, oh, that's interesting, because I can't hear you right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Oregon is tough. And I'm I'm picturing this game as in Oregon. I understand it's like a noon east, a noon local time kick or like 1130. So that's a little weird. But um, I just don't see I just don't think Colorado has the bodies in the interior to do anything to disrupt Bo Nix, to do anything to stop the rushing attack if they want it. And like you said, if they can just run crossing patterns with Franklin all day and they can't do anything about it, I don't see how you stop them. So the thing is, too, think about last year, right? Bo Nix was on Heisman watch. He was probably the front runner for the majority of the early part of the season. For a good way, probably halfway into the season until he hurt his ankle. Once he hurt his ankle, he fell out of that race used to be you'd need to be it would need to be an Oregon USC game and it's just a primetime game to get that Heisman moment right he can get a Heisman moment in a game they're favored by 21 everybody's That's, watching everybody's, everybody's going to be watching it's Colorado there's some Shadur uh Heisman hype right because sure. he I think he's the second highest passing in the country right now so you get Knicks on that stage. Oregon, they're they're going to want to throw up 80 points like they're playing Portland State over here because they need that because that's going to help them in their playoff uh, aspirations because they're, they're your playoff team. But their defense is still questionable enough that I think Colorado is going to score enough that you see it, it could easily get into that 55-20 range. And Bo Nix isn't coming out only up 30 in that matchup. No, and I think the one other thing I'd mention before we move on is TCU, the TCU game specifically. We talked about it already. TCU had no problem moving up and down the field. It felt like every time they got in the red zone, Travis Hunter specifically, or or anyone would really make a special play, or Chandler Morris would do something stupid, and then it was like, oh, okay, and then they, and even then, they still needed something crazy to come back and win, and to win the game at the end. Um, Look at the first half of the Nebraska game. Nebraska yeah, I mean, they was were moving it up and down the field at will. And Sims couldn't and, handle the snap. <laughs> they had a little bit of a fumbling problem, but they were moving it at will. And then Nebraska stinks. Yeah, and Oregon is Oregon is a legit top ten team, and I I just don't see how this one's close. So uh, keeping it in the Pac twelve, we've got number twenty two UCLA. I have it at plus four and a half because that's when I made the sheet. Uh, they're at number eleven Utah. I've been told this line has moved today because. Uh, word on the streets from Brett McMurphy is that Cam Rising may be making his season debut here. He's the UC, uh, the Utah quarterback who tore his ACL. Was that in the Rose Bowl last year? In the Rose Bowl, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the big unknown coming into this. It seems we're trending toward him making his season debut. And honestly, I'm not sure how that makes me feel about the game. It makes me feel better, but um, – I don't know. I wish someone would come out and say he's ready to go and he is healthy. I feel better after Nate Johnson's performance last week. I think that was a pretty big one. Uh, just to just to get his feet 
and get him comfortable, get his feet wet and everything. I would have liked to have seen Rising get a series or two in that game probably just to get some live action, get some hits on him early. Um, Rising, he has – he's like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, he's he's just going to run out there. He's going to take a lick and he's going to keep coming, you know. I like him. I'm very, very big fan of him. He reminds me of a – he would have been a great Mike Leach quarterback um, because he's just yep. a little crazy. But <laughs> it's just that right amount of crazy, too, with the bandana. He's got a little Minshew to him. And you just like him. But at the same time, the kid's rusty. He's got to be rusty. And he's taken on a good UCLA team, very, very quality UCLA team who has their own freshman quarterback who's looked great. Speaking of which, yeah, that's uh, Dante Moore. He has been great to start the year. He is a freshman. Um not big numbers, um, not a runner, but I would say plenty good enough to play as a freshman, as a quarterback in a Chip Kelly offense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who is – he's running the offense well, and it's not an easy offense to run. He's, he's only averaging enough. like 200, 205 yards a game, I think. Yeah, but he doesn't need to right now. Um, they have well, very he might good need to this here. week. That's true. Well, not eh. this is a weird game, right? Because he's going to want to manage the game because we don't even know if rising is in, then I think you could see them be able to throw the ball more than they have. Rising's not in. It's going to be Utah running the ball constantly with either Glover, Jaquindon Jackson, but I've, I've seen Jaquindon Jackson's been beat up. You know, the man is like a, a Cadillac Escalade trying to drive through a hole you know, he's just going to ram you over. But I don't know how healthy he is. He keeps coming out, and, and that's why I've kind of been avoiding him, even though last year he was one of my favorite players. Uh, Jalen Glover's been playing well, but they lost their number two back in Micah Bernard now. And I don't know if uh, Brant Keithy's back yet. So they're they're all world tight end. There's been some reports he might sit out and just wait for the NFL draft. So that's a big loss, too, from a receiving perspective, whereas – UCLA looks pretty good. Uh, they've got a good one-two punch at running back and and one very good wide receiver. I'm going with Utah's defense at home. That's just what I'm going to go with. Uh, a, a freshman on the road, uh, only four points. I kind of expected maybe seven. It makes sense with rising in for this number to jump closer to six. I'll just I, currently, like I said, I've got it at four and a half because that's when I had the time to sit down and write the article, and that was the line. So that's what we're sticking with. Um, I, li- I like Utah here. If it is up to six. I don't know. I, I I feel like I might be obviously I'm more inclined to go UCLA. I probably still stick with Utah. I probably just avoid it overall. It almost feels like a three point game, but you know, special teams is one of Kyle Winningham's favorite things, and yeah. they're always very good at it. So that's going to be the difference in the game. Speaking of coaching, my favorite co- coaching matchup of all time every single year is Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban because I don't know what it is, man, but Lane Kiffin just loves poking the bear. And this week was especially different because normally he does his usual troll stuff where he's like retweeting and tagging Nick Saban and Alabama football and stuff on Twitter because, you know, he was the OC there for, uh, I think, a year, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, He... He was tweeting uh, a couple of Taylor Swift songs, which was funny. Uh, One's Castle's Crumbling, obviously in reference to uh, Saban's Castle Crumbling after this USF debacle and the Texas game. Um, But he also kind of secretly called out Saban changing defensive core, or 
He didn't secretly do it. He called out Saban for secretly changing defensive coordinators. Um, in case you miss it, Kevin Steele is the actual defensive coordinator there, I believe. He's been at Miami and LSU and Auburn in the past. Um, Kiffin said he could tell by the plays, the, the, the calls on defense last week, that Steele was clearly not calling the defense anymore and they had handed the reins off to someone else. Um, which is something I can't say I've ever seen a coach ever do publicly. I'm sure it's happened privately, but for the coach to step to the podium and be like, well, Saban changed DCs this week and nobody saw. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah um, I appreciate Lane. I have a soft spot for Lane. I felt like he got a raw deal early in life. Like he got early in his coaching career, he got pushed a little too far too quick. Yeah. Uh, because of his pedigree, but he's done a very nice job of rebuilding his brand and he kind of knows what he can get away with. And I, when you mentioned Taylor Swift, I thought maybe he was trying to recruit a future Kelsey kid, um, <laughs> just trying to put the inroads in right away. But yeah, Kevin Steele is not impressive. He's a John Chavis mold to me. He runs a <laughs> poor defense and I don't know why he even works for uh, Mr. Kiffin or Mr. Uh, Mr. Saban at this point. I don't know why he's even there. I mean, Saban, Saban's better. and I, It's just a name. It, maybe he's friends with him, and that's why he has a job at this point. I remember when LSU hired Kevin Steele, I, I remember the conversation being like, isn't this the guy that gave up 70 in an Orange Bowl? Yeah, right. Like, what are we I, doing here? And and it's crazy. He's to, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those, I guess, you, you've been in the business long enough. You just keep getting jobs. I mean, he was great when he was at Auburn. I know Auburn was great when he was there, and they liked him enough to where some of the fans wanted him to be the head coach. Uh, regardless to this game itself, Milrow now back as the starter is, is the word out there. Um, after getting benched a week ago, I feel like I've done this a billion times where I've seen the song and dance of Milrow comes back and lights the world on fire. Um, not Milrow specifically, but any quarterback in this scenario on first under Saban. Um, I just don't trust Milrow, but at the same time, I don't trust Dart. I will never trust Jackson Dart. I made a pact many years ago to never play Jackson Dart. I think I played him one time for USC. He was so terrible that I will never do it again. And I've held true to that pact. He has sneaky athleticism that I don't trust and don't believe in. He's terrible, in my opinion, at throwing the football, yet he somehow completes passes and throws for 300 yards. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm not a judge on him. He's one of those guys that I'm never going to get right, and I just don't bother. And I just if he beats me that week, then so be it. I lost. But I'm I'm not going to go near him. Don't trust him. And poor Tyler Buckner transfers from Notre Dame, <laughs> transfers from Notre Dame with his offensive oh, coordinator sweet. and gets his shot. And, and this is my chance. I'm going to lead Alabama back to the promised land. And I'm third string again. And I can't even so, be AJ McCarron. Yeah. Yeah. Hand in That's your paperwork, Mr. Buckner. You're ready to transfer again. Yeah. Because uh, Simpson's the number two again and Milrow's back to the number one. And I don't think we're going to see Milrow off of that spot for the rest of the season. No, they both looked abysmal last week against USF. That game, I was here in Tampa. I live in Tampa, and I just kept watching it going, do I need to, like, go to the stadium? Like, I feel like I should get in my car and drive over there because this is, like, is this going to happen? Like, if USF beats Alabama, I feel like I should just be there to see it. You had a chance I, during the delay there. I did have a chance during the delay, but I also couldn't see uh, the street in front of my house. It was raining so hard, so... Uh, the spread here is Ole Miss plus seven and a half at Alabama. I think you and I talked earlier this week, and I was surprised. I think we were both kind of looking at like four and a half range. And in a weird turn of events, I feel more confident in Ole Miss plus seven and a half 
at Alabama than I think I would if they were at home. Just on the storytelling of, I feel like Lane is due for the game where he beats Saban and gets to stand at the center of that field and just look around like the cop, like like the cocky a hole he wants to be, which is awesome, and just feel great about it. And I just feel like that this game ends with with Ole Miss winning the game and and Kiffin getting to have that moment at that stadium where he had to play understudy to Saban for all these years. Lane thrives in the chaos. Look at that game that they played in <laughs> it, uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, he thrives in that. Like he loves it. He's eating it up. It's like it's like he, he you know he would do so much better if he could have uh, each quarter an internet troll come stand next to him and and berate him. Like he would <laughs> he would just him. all right. I'm ready to go. Like he he's going to be so much better. And I don't trust Jackson Dart, but if I can get some Spencer Sanders in there, we might see a little action. I'd love to see that. But Dart's playing too well right now, and I think their wide receivers are getting healthier. I read that um, Zachary Franklin might be back for this game, which would be a massive, massive addition. Uh, very talented receiver out of UTSA. They are I, – I think they win it outright but i'll gladly take seven and a half and walk away from it if it was six and a half i'd be maybe somehow nervous for some reason but if you give me the hook on the touchdown i feel good yeah i think that's that's the play in this situation even though i've heard judkins is hurt so we're, we're fading judkins for a little bit could be a real problem in there uh number 14 oregon state minus three and a half at number 21 washington state this feels like the ranked matchup that's getting no respect which uh, kind of fitting for Oregon State and Washington State, the remaining members of the Pac-2 at this point. Um, Washington State's already had the big game this year. They they hosted Wisconsin and beat them, got to rush the field once already this year uh, behind quarterback Cam Ward. And Oregon State, in case you've forgotten, uh, Clemson QB, DJ, I'll just call him DJU. I'm not going to butcher his last name. I won't do it. Uh, over there at Oregon State, he's been pretty great this year too. Both of them, I think, in the top 20 or 30 in QBR in the country. Um, I don't know, man. I don't have much to really say on this one. I'm going to watch it and have a great time with it. And personally, I'm just going to go with Washington plus the points at home. I'm feeling confident right now, so I'm going to go with Uyunglele. I think it's Uyunglele. Dang it. I but wanted no, a U. Didn't there. have it. I think it's Uyunglele. <laughs> okay, well, we might have missed some syllables in that one, but we're close enough. You know, it's the double Lele at the end. It's the yeah. Lele probably that gets us. But, it, yeah. you know, he's – He's serviceable. I don't know that this is necessarily the matchup where he's going to be great. Uh, they do some weird stuff in the red zone. Martinez will get him to the red zone. I have more confidence in Cam Ward to hold it together for four quarters. He was turnover prone last year, but I think he's improved. And they I think he's have... the only quarterback in the country without a or like like over two hundred pass attempts and not with a, no interceptions so far. All right. Well, there you go. Learn something new. So that's that's seeing results. Last year he used the three picks a game, but he threw for four hundred and fifty yards and three touchdowns with it. So uh, he's, he's got mobile. He's got uh, okay. I would say the only one over a hundred pass attempts because uh, Bo Nix is sitting there at ninety eight passing attempts with no picks. There you go. Bo Nix is he's he's going to be talking Caleb, about playing. Caleb Williams only has seventy attempts and twelve touchdowns. So that's what happens when you're Caleb Williams. And you don't need to throw that many times. You don't even make the list. <laughs> I wonder if those 12 touchdowns are to eight different receivers or nine different receivers. He only has, probably. He only has 50, 50 completions for 12 touchdowns. 
Yeah, that's just that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's going to continue. Uh, he gets Colorado next week, boys. You'll know who's going to be the headliner of the quarterback section of the article. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I have confidence in Cam Ward. Like you said, he's really improved. Yeah, or it seems like it so far. Yeah, Lincoln Victor looks good. Nikia Watson's always good. They have a good defense. You know, this is one of those things where realistically, when you get these like oddball like Washington State. Uh, like not the premier, but the mid-level pack two team. Uh, they they are whoever's playing at home usually just wins. Yeah, and and that's that's how I think where I ended up. I was surprised to see the line the way it was, the minus three and a half on Oregon State side. Um, I do think Oregon State probably is a better team. Um, uh, but I don't know. I, I like Washington State at home, and they like I said, I've already got the win over Wisconsin. I feel like they have confidence, and and there's the growing. Confident just around Pullman, they'll win the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Pullman seems like a tough place to play. I, I, I'd i be interested in seeing a game there, that's for sure. Shout out, Gwen. Go Cougs. Uh, number six, Ohio State, minus three and a half at Notre Dame is the last one we're going to talk about there, number nine. Buckeyes really looked kind of like themselves last week against Western Kentucky, and I know Western Kentucky, not the greatest. It's not really a matchup that's kind of even there. Um but I thought they looked much better than they did against, like, was it Indiana they played the week before? and um, Or Indiana was week one. I forget if they played in week two. Youngstown um, State. Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm sure Bo Pelini's still there, I assume. Um, no, but I think Trestle, Trestle, my, Trestle, Trestle's the AD, I'm pretty sure. Really? Wow, how about that? He's what been the point? AD. He was the AD when they played JMU in the national championship game, and Pelini was the coach. What if I told you he's the president? Oh, is he the president now? He's the president of Youngstown State. Yeah. Well, he's an upstanding citizen. That's why he's the president. Or he served as the president, and maybe he doesn't anymore. It says through 2023. I don't know if that means through president or he's not anymore. If you're a Youngstown State fan, let us know. Go um, Penguins. That's right. <laughs> um, I get it. I think Ohio State looks great, and I've really – obviously Marvin Harrison Jr. looked like himself last week and, and had the big catch, and, and he's – dangerous to score a touchdown anytime he touches the ball. I'm going to cash my chips in on Sam Hartman, and I think Notre Dame wins the game. So, I grew up not liking Notre Dame. My father I think everyone Notre did. Dame. Um, my father really just has a strong disdain for Lou Holtz. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Catholic. So that's no, Lou Holtz. No, <laughs> my, actually, my aunt went uh, is a big Notre Dame fan, uh, but too bad, you know, Nah, we we I won a many a bet betting against Notre Dame against her, but I have a strong pull and love of Sam Hartman, and yes, Ohio State looked more like Ohio State last week, but they looked more like it midway through the second quarters when they turned it on because it was ten to three with Western Kentucky moving the football. Yeah, in the second quarter, and then Ohio State exploded. I do not trust Kyle McCord one bit yet. I don't think Travion Henderson's as good as we thought he would be. Mayan Williams is just kind of a guy. Hartman is a difference maker, and Notre Dame, maybe Brady Quinn is the last time they've had a guy that was this good back there. Hartman's got a shot to be the all-time leader in touchdown passes. Like that COVID induced, uh, yeah. we'll put a little COVID asterisk next to it, <laughs> but I'm going to buy in on Hartman. I think Hartman, I, I, honestly, if anything, this game should be a pick them or Notre Dame minus two and a half. 
You give me Notre Dame over three or with three, and I'm taking Notre Dame all day, every day. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the quarterback stats, and real quick, I, I did, I did, I did grow up Catholic and went to a Catholic high school. So you know, before anyone is like Brian hates Catholic, that's my that's my Catholic bona fides. Uh, we were talking about quarterback stats, though. Hartman, ninety attempts, sixty four completions, so pretty in lockstep with Caleb Williams. Actually, twenty more attempts now that I look at it closer. It's thirteen touchdowns and no picks. I mean, he's been great, and I get you can say, well, they haven't played anybody, but I don't know if they haven't played anybody because they went to NC State, and we talked about it that week, as that is a team that is constantly considered a tough place to play. It's a really good defense, and they came out of that delay and torched them. It's just like, I don't know what what Ohio State can send at Sam Hartman that he doesn't know how to deal with, which is as cliche as I can talk about an older quarterback, a quarterback who's been around forever, but it counts. And if you're Ohio State basically playing your first road game with Kyle McCord, how am I supposed to trust you? And and I don't know. It just feels like Notre Dame may be a team that we look up and is in the playoff at the end of the year. And, and, I, and I feel like this is the beginning of that process. Notre Dame will probably be a playoff team, in my opinion. I think they should have to play in the ACC championship game, but that's here nor there. Hey, good luck convincing them of that, yeah. Yeah, well, you want membership, here you go. Or you can just watch everybody else be in a playoff. So, point being, they, I think on the outside, like the edge talent certainly goes to Ohio State. Yeah. But they need to win the middle game. And Estime's the best running back in this game. Hartman's the best quarterback. And underrated, Hartman has a little bit of wheels. He can move. Like, so if he could get out on the edge and throw it, you know, he he stresses a defense and makes them make decisions. I think that that might be the difference in the game is that Notre Dame can control the ball, control the clock, and be efficient with the ball. And they have enough. They don't really have weapons necessarily, but they have enough talent at the skill position to throw enough completions to get move the ball down the field and work it into scoring range. That's where I'm at, and especially at home. I really like it. Apparently Notre Dame's doing a green out. I don't know what that means. Obviously, it's different than, I guess, Penn State's white out. Uh, we didn't talk about that game. That's another ranked one this week, Penn State and Iowa. I just didn't feel mm-hmm. like going to seven games, but... Uh, yeah, I, I like Notre Dame in this one, and, and I feel like that's where I'm going to end up. We'll go ahead and shift gears now over to the DFS plays. Actually, before they do, let me run through those picks one more time. Florida State minus 2.5, Oregon minus 21.5, Utah minus 4.5, Ole Miss plus 7.5, Washington State plus 3.5, and, and Notre Dame plus 3.5. So we go to the DFS slate, in case you're new to it. Uh, we're talking about the Saturday main slate, so... If you go to DraftKings, it's the one with, was it 13 games on it? Or is it 12 14. this week? I think they're up to 14. 14. Uh, so a lot of games on it this week. It's uh, your noon and your 3.30 Eastern time kickoffs. Uh, all those games that they've kind of mushed together in this week. There's a lot of good ones. So there's not there's a couple of uh, unranked teams and, 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 a, and a Marshall in there that I think we're getting to here in a second. But I'll go with you quarterback first. Uh, I assume we're hearing Bo Nix's name here. Yeah, let's just lead off with the the elephant in the room, the man of the hour. He's going to be the number one scoring quarterback this week. I have no doubt about it. I've also heard shows that were talking about it that said that he would be the number one scoring fantasy quarterback of the weekend. So he's going to outscore every quarterback in every game. 
I, I don't doubt it. I think you could see a Heisman moment. This is a Heisman game for him. Knicks could, we could see the rushing ability with the passing ability. Chandler Morris had a good game against Oregon. I mean, against uh, Colorado. Or uh, Bo Nix here in this situation can break the slate and have a as big of a game as Jaden Daniels did last week, if not bigger in this situation. And like we said, a 71 and a half total. And I've termed it in the article, uh, the Colorado defense is the fantasy carnival. You know, everybody's going <laughs> to get a prize when we go to this game. Uh, Chandler Morris's week one stats is 24 for 42, 279, two touchdowns, the two picks. Uh, five carries, 30 yards, and a rushing score. So uh, a pretty pretty dang good game week one there. And obviously, I you sure can see think. 405, like 400 yards passing, five touchdowns out of Knicks. Would not it does come me. with a price. 9,600, I believe, is the most expensive quarterback on the slate, but worth it. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're we're paying the paying the penny in, in this one. I think you know, there's. I'm going to have four lineups, three of them minimum with Knicks. He's the safest guy on the board. He's not even close. Uh, what about if you're trying to maybe go oppo or uh, salary saver at your super flex spot? Any, anyone that fits the bill there? So we're going to go to the guy who burnt FSU last week that nobody Cover saw coming. I'm sorry. We keep bringing up people that just have some kind of bad memories for Florida State fans. I apologize. There's just too many that. of them in recent years. There's too many of them in recent years. Yeah. Thomas Castellanos last week was impressive. I think he was pretty interesting. And at 5,900, he's by far the best value. We don't have a $4,500 Nate Johnson this week. Castellanos almost ran for 100 yards last week. I think it was was 99 maybe. And uh, we got a matchup against a Louisville team that has been hemorrhaging points to quarterbacks. The Indiana quarterback threw for 299 yards last week on them. There's no way, like, there's no way this, the Castellanos has to be better than him. Haynes King of Georgia Tech had 313 yards passing and rushed for another, what, 53 yards and three touchdowns on uh, through the air. So I think you could see Castellanos hit the 300 yards with the three-point bonus for hitting 300 yards and run for 100 I don't even care if he only throws for has one touchdown in that scenario because we got double bonus action here. We could get six points just in hitting milestone bonuses for 100 yards rushing and 300 yards passing. It's funny. We don't talk DFS. We, we, we'll talk when the slate drops, but not much about specific players or, or lineup builds. Uh, and oddly enough, you and I were talking before this, and I have Knicks in three out of my four, and I have Castellanos in three out of my four. Um, so we're pretty lockstep on these guys. I, it just seems like they Cassianos is just too cheap, and Knicks is obviously set up in the best scenario out there. Uh, at running back, you're going back to one of your your locks of the week a few weeks ago, and I don't blame you. We're not locking him in this week. There's too many options from 5,500 to 6,500. But Rashin Ali, we're going back to the well. He's been a monster. He's been a bell cow. 18 carries a game. Yeah. The Marshall running back. He's 6,000 this time. He's not that juicy 4,800 we got him at a couple weeks ago. But Virginia Tech's defense, especially their run defense, has been atrocious. It was bad enough against Old Dominion, which was okay. Like I, I see that. It's a little bit of a rivalry in-state game. 
Then it was bad against Purdue. Okay, it was Maccabee's pretty good. I'll buy that. They faced Rutgers last week, and I was okay. The old powerhouse Rutgers. Let's see what they had. Let me check on that. Maybe that'll matter to me as to how this game shapes up. Kyle Monin guy. All right. He went for 143 and three touchdowns last week on this Virginia Tech team who's going to Morgantown to play in this game. Sign me up for all of Rasheen Ali. Like, I got to think he goes for 130, 110 at least, and at least two touchdowns. They have a team total of 23 and a half. I would anticipate minimum two touchdowns for Ali in this situation. Yeah, Ali's another guy that stood out to me. You mentioned him uh, on the pod a few weeks ago, and as I was scrolling through, I saw it and went, oh, Virginia Tech, huh? Cool. I like that. He was Mama, pretty much a quick, that man. a quick toss into the lineup and off we go. Um, new name here for BYU, though. Yep, a true freshman running back out of BYU named LJ Martin. So he hasn't had a big blow-up game yet. And he has. I don't think he's broken 100 yards in a game yet. But he has led the team in carries each of the first three weeks. They had UNLV transfer Aiden Robbins come in. He's a very big running back, but he's hurt. So he's banged up. I don't know that he, even then, he hasn't been seeing that much of a role at any of the three games. We need salary at some point. We need to save money at some point if we're paying up for Bo Nix and his floor. Martin is 4900 He's getting a nice discount off of everybody else. He's the cheapest guy I've seen that I liked. And last week, they played Arkansas. He had 23 carries last week against Arkansas. That's a big deal to have that many touches. He had two receptions as well. So 25 touches. He had two touchdowns. That's the good news. Bad news, he went for 77 yards. But I got to think Kansas's rush defense isn't as good as Arkansas. Like Arkansas to me just screams, we can at least play the run a little bit. Kansas, to me, is they're going to give up some points. And BYU's been a little bit impressive moving the football this season. I, uh, I'm i not sure if or if Arkansas screams we can at least stop the run. I, I think LSU's going to smoke them this week. But oh, they're going to kill them. That's neither here nor there. I, yeah, I mean, anyone who's getting 25 touches in a week is someone you've got to be interested in, especially at a price sub 5k I, I like you said you've got to find a place to su- save salary and uh if you got a guy who's going to touch the ball 25 times it's kind of the same thought process as nate johnson was a week ago he's the quarterback and he's like 5k take it this is he's the starting back or he's a guy getting 25 touches just take it yeah i mean my confidence level is hopefully that it, number one he's a true freshman so that you got to think they're just going to want to keep getting him involved. He's going to get better week after week after week as he learns the game. I know it's a big difference. You know, for me, even it was, it's a big difference going from uh, high school to college. It's a big difference in speed comparatively, but this is a big kid who was physical and he's ready. And this is a good opportunity. And so we need to take the chance. I believe you said earlier in this pod that Troy Franklin was already running wind sprints because he was prepared to just run up and down the field all game against this Colorado defense. I can't say I am surprised that he's in the list here. Yeah, we're going to stack. So stacking in DFS is a big deal. This is a nice instance where if your quarterback throws a touchdown and he throws it to your wife, your perfect example is last week. Neighbors 
and Daniels. If you pair them two together, big money coming because you can hit the the highest scoring receiver and the highest scoring quarterback on the same plate in the same game with the same pairing, and they have correlating results to one another. So this is that instance right here. Franklin's too cheap. He's gone over 100 yards and has a touchdown in every game this season, I believe. And he he's too cheap at 6,900 for the game environment that he's in as a favorite. And he'll be running sideline to sideline, north, south, east, west. He's going to be moving for yardage. I wish we got side to side yardage because he's going to have <laughs> a lot of that too. A little side to side yardage would be interesting. It'd be that would have been that uh the Jordan Travis Pat or not Jordan Travis uh that that trick play Florida State tried week one against oh, LSU where the yeah. guy ran like all over the field and still completed the Johnny Wilson would have been like a thirty point play. Yeah, it would have um, been ideal. You've got a couple other guys you like in this game that you wanted to mention. Yeah, too? yeah. so we wanted to talk about uh, game stack in this I, in this instance because that total so high. And, and we, team, we were both just teams talking about it possibly going over. On right. Of. So if we're talking about it going over, and we've seen this with the TCU Baylor games before, I know I told you I stacked that Oregon Texas Tech game uh, two weeks ago, and that ended up running up the scoreboard. So looking at it, uh, Tarverish Dawson, little interesting guy. I know yeah, I've probably seen him a little bit if you watch some of the game. But he took over the slot role of Travis Hunter. So he came in and he's now the three. There's, I noticed there's not a ton of rotation at wide receiver for Colorado. Typically it's Horn, Weaver, and Hunter. Well, with Hunter out, we're getting Dawson. Well, Dawson is 4,600, whereas Weaver is 7,200 and Horn is 7,300. So if I get all those extra routes... He's a very good value as a bring back to your Troy Franklin and uh, Bo Nick stack. Another guy, an interesting story on him for Oregon, Tez Johnson, transferred from Troy, was Troy's leading receiver the last year. He is actually the adoptive brother of Bo Nix. So uh, he is now as a wide receiver on Oregon. And he has a touchdown, and his three touchdowns. He's tied with Franklin as the, for the team lead. He doesn't get as many targets. Him and Gary Bryant, the transfer from USC, are kind of split and roll. But Bryant uh, is not as has not come on as strong. Where Johnson started coming on a little bit more, and I think they've got that brother chemistry in the red zone. Interesting. <laughs> The other spot you've got your uh, – we talked Texas Tech before the pod, and you've got them in here. Uh, too cheap on Miles Price. Yeah, too cheap. Too oh, cheap that was a, price. a good price pun, yeah. Yeah, too cheap a price for Miles Price. You you got it. Um, he's the slot receiver. He plays a valuable role in the air raid offense. Bradley last year stepped up when Price hurt his ankle, and Bradley took over the number one target option. For Texas Tech, he also has very nice price at fifty nine hundred, but Miles Price at forty eight hundred saves us some value, and he can he has scored in every game so far this year. He just hasn't exploded yet on the road in Morgantown with Shu having some issues throwing the ball and and turning it over. I think you could see that short area target safety blanket aspect of Miles Price play in in this instance. 
And I think you could end up seeing probably a nine to 10 target game, hopefully seven catches for 80 to a hundred yards and a touchdown. Interesting. So I plugged these guys in. Um, I actually left out price. We could go to them. I put your Colorado game stack into the thing. So it's Nick's Ali Martin, Dawson, Franklin, Johnson and Castellanos. It leaves me with a flex spot and 6,200 hanging around. Um, oh, that's fairly – well, here's a good one. What I was about – there's, there's a lot. There's a Devin Neal here. I was going to go to Devin Neal, yeah. yeah I was so the say Kansas that's, running back, Devin Neal you there. You can run it back and you get Kansas, on, Kansas and BYU both sides of it. Um, at 5,900, he's a good, very good play, a strong play. The only other play in that range up there is like Will Shipley. Um, he's an option. He could Shipley catch the is, ball. I believe, 5,700, I believe. 5,700, yep, yep. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that gives you the option to go up to price, whatever. I mean, I, I think Tej Johnson, I don't know that I'd double stack Tej Johnson in that situation. Uh, I'd probably want to move to, like, I think in this instance, I would go from Tej Johnson to Gerand Bradley, for example. Okay, so if um, I take out Johnson or... He's the uh, same price as Bradley. I'd and then that way you don't have price, and then you have Dawson instead of price, and then you go to Neal, and then you feel pretty good. Uh, I do have, again, 6,200 at the receiver spot. It does open up Jennings, who's doubtful listed on here. Stoops, yeah. Prather, Bond. Bradley is where you would say to look to go. Yeah, Duran Bradley for sure. He's just more of a guarantee from a safety aspect. Um, Otherwise, the lineups that I had previously built, players that I was interested in, personally, I would trust Chris's opinion more than mine, but maybe you're not interested in that. So um, the lineups that I have put together, um, the players that I considered maybe a little more closely – it's most of the same stuff. I am in on AM this week. Um, I, I feel like people are going to overlook them against Auburn. I don't believe Auburn is very good because Cal moved the ball okay on them, and I think Cal is terrible. Um, and I don't think Auburn's offense has anything, so I could see this thing kind of shifting toward blowout with AM at home. That's just my thoughts on it. Um, the other guy I had in here, but we were talking beforehand, and you were saying be careful with C.J. Donaldson. Yeah, so he's banged up. Uh, he left in the third quarter last week at 18 carries and over 100 yards. Looked very good. But he left in the third quarter, did not return. I believe he was jogging up and down the sideline. He does have a good a direct backup who would start, and that's Jalen Anderson at 5,100. So he is an option if we got news that uh, that Donaldson was out. But Donaldson is a converted tight end. He's a load to bring down. So if he plays, you might want to just, I mean, I haven't been there If he plays, right I'd now. play him. If he plays, I like him. I do like him a lot this week. And he would be, so I don't typically like to play two running backs in two spots, right? Uh, like running backs against each other because it's a weird game environment for them to go back and forth. That's kind of not really like, hey, my running backs are shooting out against one another. Like you don't see two guys go for 250 yards in the same game. But you give me Donaldson, especially because Garrett Green is banged up the quarterback for West Virginia, so they might need to lean on the run even more. If if you told me I had a healthy Donaldson and I can bring it back with Durand Bradley – now I've got both in the same lineup, and I would love that because now I've got Texas Tech, whose strength is throwing the ball, 
and West Virginia, whose strength is running the ball. And if that game does shoot out, it's going to be on the backs of those two things. Yeah, you're you're gonna be looking at a spot where things kind of really blow up for you, and that's plenty good for this situation. Um, if I, I don't feel- talk about this guy, I, I'm gonna be remiss. I I blew him up last week. He was number one wide receiver in the article. Jamari Thrash from Louisville. I said he was too cheap last week at what was he fifty nine hundred, and he dropped yeah. twenty eight thirty points, something like that. He's going to do it again this week against BC, and he's a very good run back of Thomas Castellanos. So, like I said, anything under 7K of Thrash, we're playing Thrash because he's going to hit 4X value, no problem. I was trying to pull it up. He had, uh, looks like, 28.9 points last week. So, And he did that on four receptions, four for 159 and a touchdown. And I yep. believe it was an 85-yard touchdown. So It was, and I believe he had a 70-yard touchdown called back last week. Well, we would have liked that. We had a couple more in the couple in the top uh, few hundred lineups, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so I think there's plenty of options. Again, if you missed them top to bottom, we're looking at Bo Nix from Oregon, 9,600. Thomas Castellanos, 5,900, Boston College. Uh, Rasheen Ali from Marshall at 6K. LJ Martin from BYU, 4,900. Troy, Flint, Troy Franklin, Franklin, Troy Franklin from Oregon, sixty nine hundred. You could also look at Tez Johnson of Oregon, fifty nine hundred, and Tarvarish Dawson of Colorado at forty six hundred, uh, and Miles Price, Texas Tech, forty eight hundred. And Chris also just threw a little bonus in there of Thrash from Louisville at sixty six hundred at receiver. So um, it is tighter to to kind of build the lineups. The pricing is higher this week, and you could kind of tell. Uh, but there are ways you can build these back and forth lineups that kind of give you game stacks that give you those chances to kind of have blow up games. And, and I feel like it kind of starts and ends in that Colorado Oregon game, just like all of college football will. Well, we're kind of getting into the part of the year where the sites start learning who's good and there's really nobody mispriced too much. And it's going to come down to does an injury occur as to whether value opens up and if value opens up, it might be 15 minutes before the game starts before that value opens up and it's going to be a real tricky to switch. That's but true. Hunter, Cause you get into the spot where you may be juggling, you're juggling maybe the, what games have already happened playing mm-hmm. time slots and those sorts of things. What game was that earlier this year? We were playing that with the late was it Nate slot? Johnson, the Nate Johnson start last week, right? Yeah, we were just making sure, and then it came out. It came out fairly early that Rising was out and Johnson was in. But we were playing it last week when it was news was out that Judkins wasn't even going to play, and that came out like an hour before the game. And then 15 minutes before the game, they said, no, he is playing. Yeah, so you've always got to follow your lineups up until the start time. The other interesting spot, I think, is the SMU running back room that I just feel like we have to mention. Uh, I was reading through their notes before the game, and it seems like all of them are or have been suspended so far this year for missing class. Um, and all of them, Levine. Levine had. I don't think Levine has. I don't know. I was reading. I was reading through their their bios, and it felt like each one of them had out next to their name. And I don't know, might be suspended for missing class, is what the blurb said. So uh, it seems whichever one of them shows up to class could be interesting against TCU. But you're mentioning their defense was better. I just thought that was it. Interesting note, and if you're looking through, a lot of names you'll recognize. Yeah, yeah, a lot of transfers, and well, I think most of them have been at SMU. It's just Knighton that came from Miami, but uh, he he's the apparently one. the biggest offender for not going to class. 
It happens. I went to if I was on the team, I would have I probably would have been suspended a time or two for not going to class. If you're listening to this and you're in school, go to class. I went to every class. Oh, good for you. You're better than me. Uh but uh I know where I'll be this weekend parked on the couch watching a ton of college football. Hope you're doing the same. If you're listening on Tomahawk Nation, an FSU fan. Uh, quick reminder, we are dropping our Seminole Rap podcast likely Saturday night. We'll be recording probably within an hour after the game to get that out to you as soon as we can to get you that kind of instant reaction to what we saw, what happens um, in the first big ACC game of the year for Florida State and one you've got the chance to maybe put uh, Clemson in, in the grave here on their ACC season. So we'll have that for you early on Saturday. Appreciate you guys giving us a listen uh, for Brian and Chris, man. See you next week.